The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Abraham had doubts. He struggled with his faith. And even though God was developing this faith in his life, it was not easy. Right? So you get this picture and uh, God has been blessing Abraham and there's three parts of the promise. Blessing, children, and land. And to this point, God had richly blessed Abraham with lots of material possessions, great wealth. And we've seen that in the chapters leading up to this. 318 armed fighting servants, uh, vast amounts of cattle and livestock uh, loaded down with gold and silver. He is a wealthy person, very blessed materially, but life is ticking on. And when God called Abraham, Abraham was 75 years old. Okay, sometime later, okay, a decade, two decades. When you're 75 years old, you know the the clock's ticking down. And Abraham's not stupid, and he's starting to look at the calendar, and he's going, you know. I don't know how this works, God, but it's not looking so good, right? The blessing part's been great, but this whole son thing, you know, I'm not going to live forever. I'm 80 plus years old now. Uh, help me out here, right? And, uh, and a great question for all of us is really, why does this have to take so long? Have you ever asked God that question? God, why does this have to take so long? Why was God so slow in fulfilling the promise in Abraham's life? Uh, why is it God couldn't just quickly give Abram a son? Right? Why does it have to drag on for years? Why is it Abraham has to sit wondering what's going on? Why is it Abraham has to get older and older and draw closer and closer to the end of his life with no fulfillment of the promise? Uh, and, you know, the reality is that when it takes long... See, faith would be easy if everything was instant, right? Uh, if God said, this is what I'm going to do, and the next day, poof, it was done. I'll tell you what, I think faith would be much easier, right? If Abraham, if God had said, you know, I'm going to bless you, next day he wakes up, he's got the Cadillac, he's got the mansion, he's got ten kids, right? And he's got land. He's going, this is easy. But it doesn't happen that way, does it, with Abraham or with anybody else? Uh, and what happens when it doesn't happen instantly, we start doubting, don't we? And that's what Abraham does. He, start, he starts wondering, did I hear it wrong? Okay, I thought God said something about kids. Maybe I misunderstood. Maybe, maybe I messed it up. Maybe I have done something that's wrecked the promise. And I've disqualified myself and God's left me. Right? Um, did God change his mind? What's going on? Uh, what happens, maybe God doesn't realize how old I am. Maybe God thinks I'm some young whippersnapper. You know, he doesn't know that I'm pushing 90 and that this having kid things is going to get much more difficult. And what happens if I die before God gets around to fulfilling his promise? Right? Well, those are some of the questions that are clearly going through Abraham's mind and we know that because of what God says to him and what, God, what Abraham answers back, right? Abram's definitely worried about this. And he's fearful that he's going to go to the grave and all this great blessing of God is going to go to some house servant because he has no heir or descendant. Right? 
So he's worried. Um, and he is discouraged and he's getting old. Uh, what is the source of doubt in your life? Uh, for Abram, it was worry and fear that he was going to die without a child and that all of God's blessings would come to nothing and would be handed over to some foreigner. What is the source of doubt in your life? Uh, well, I don't know what it is in your life. I know the things that I have struggled in f- faith with, and here's some of them. Uh, I've struggled believing that God will answer prayer, right? We've all read these promises. Ask anything in my name and I will do it, right? How many of us pray confidently for things with boldness that God will answer? Or do we seriously have doubt, in fact, maybe so much doubt, that we've just stopped asking because we're just not so sure that God will come through, right? Um, Maybe we have difficulty believing that God really has forgiven us. And we go through life with this cloud, this weight of guilt and shame over our life. Uh, Paul says in Romans, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. One of God's great promises is that through the blood of Christ, you are not held accountable before God for any sin. There is no word of condemnation. And yet, how many of us go through life year after year weighed down with a sense of condemnation and guilt, feeling that I can't uh, and I am not worthy, I'm not right before God, I'm not clean, that somehow God is disappointed with me, and He's up there just waiting for me to mess up to condemn me, right? And a lot of people carry that kind of burden. Or maybe it's the inability to really believe in His unfailing love. Uh, that that He is our Father and that He loves us and that He longs to show His love to us. And we want to believe it. We want to know that's true. We know it's true in our head, but the reality is we don't really believe it with all our heart. We find ourselves living a performance-based faith, working and doing, trying to earn earn God's love and approval because we just really don't believe God could love me as messed up as I am, right? What doubts do you wrestle with? Maybe you uh, you wrestle with God meeting your needs. Uh, you know, God promised to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things, all these things you need, will be taken care of. And you want to believe that's true. You believe that promise, but the reality is, it doesn't seem like God's coming through on that one. And you start doubting, right? You start doubting God's faithfulness to His word. Maybe I better get a second job. Maybe I better uh, leave this life of faith and get a real job like my parents told me to, right? Uh, a real job in the real world that gets a real paycheck because this isn't working out for me, right? God's not coming through. And you start doubting God's promises, right? What am I supposed to do? Uh, maybe you doubt that God is going to make, give you a fruitful and effective ministry. God said, go and make disciples as I will be with you. Always all authority and power has been given to me. Go make disciples. So you believe that promise and you took off to some crazy place like Thailand and you're trying to make disciples and it's just not working. There are no disciples, right? There are no followers. There is no ministry. And you're discouraged because you feel like, where is God in the midst of this, right? I don't know what you struggle with, but the reality is that if you are trying to live the life of faith, you will encounter doubt. All right? Doubt is part of the process. 
In fact, uh, the reality is if you don't experience doubt, then there's one of two things. Number one, you're not really believing his promises and you've checked out already, right? Okay, that's one way to avoid doubt. Just don't, just don't believe in any of God's promises and you don't have to worry about it, right? Or you believe in God's promises and you are waiting and waiting and waiting and you are starting to deal with doubt because that is the process by which God builds faith in us, right? If it were easy, if faith came naturally to us, okay, we wouldn't have to go through this, but the reality is it's not easy. Uh, the cool thing is that in the midst of all this, God doesn't leave Abram hanging, okay? God looks down, he knows Abram's heart, God is fully aware of what's going on in his life, and God doesn't say, hey, you know, well, that poor Abram, he's just going to have to suffer through this one, okay? Now, what God doesn't do is he doesn't go down and deliver, okay? Which would be the easy thing to me. You know, God to show up and say, by the way, you know, the sun's on his way. He's been shipped airmail. He'll be here in a week, right? Doesn't do that. He doesn't say, okay, let me just help you out a bit. Here's 10 acres to get you started, right? Doesn't do that. But he does meet Abram, and he's very aware of his struggle and his doubt. And he meets him in the midst of his struggle, and he ministers to him, right? He doesn't come through with a promise, but he begins to minister and to build his faith. God is fully aware, and God's very concerned and cares but what's going on? He says these amazing words to Abram. He says, Abram, don't be afraid. Okay? Don't be fearful. Don't lose sight of the promise. Okay? I am with you. I am your shield. And I am going to give you your reward. Right? Uh, God cares. And uh, in, in the midst of meeting with Abram and coming to him, really what God does is he goes through this process of reinforcing Abram's faith. Okay? Uh, and what this is all about in this, this process in Abram's life, it's partly about the promise and it's partly about what God's going to do in his life. But just as important, if not more important, is building in Abraham faith. All right? uh, the Christian life is absolutely, essentially, all about a life of faith, right? We cannot have a successful walk with God. We cannot see His promises fulfilled. And we cannot make it to the end of our journey without this simple thing called faith. And it's extremely important. It's the basis, as we'll see uh, later on in the story, it's the basis of our standing with God. And uh, part of God's slowness in answering and delivering the promise is that God is far more concerned about developing in Abraham faith than he is about the quick and easy solution. Okay, It's not time yet because God has a work to do in Abraham's life of developing in, in him rock-solid faith and trust. Um, our entire relationship with God okay, is, is built on trust. And it's true actually of every human relationship. Every human relationship has as its vital center faith, right? If you don't trust the person, your relationship with that person won't go very far, right? Uh, because you will not follow, you will not enter into partnerships with people you don't trust, right? Or you will, and it will be very guarded, right? So for a relationship to grow and thrive, there has to be at its center, at its middle, this deep bond of trust, uh, 
And so God has to develop that in Abraham. If he can't trust God, he will not follow God. If he does not follow God, he can't enter into the blessing. And if he doesn't go there, he can't be in a relationship with God, with the Father. Right? So it's all about faith. And uh, that's true of Abraham. It's true of every person who will ever enter a relationship with God. It comes about primarily on the foundation of faith. And so God has to develop and reinforce faith in us. Uh, he must build it. Okay? And it doesn't come easy and natural for us. Uh, the reality is that God is invisible. Uh, he's not tangibly experienced by us. And it takes an extraordinary kind of faith to enter into a relationship with a being who's not there in our physical presence. Right? It takes faith. And so God's got to do this. He's got to do it in Abraham. He's got to do it in us. And it takes time and testing to build, to build faith. Right? And so that's what he's doing here. He's build, building faith in Abraham. And he speaks into Abraham's life. And he does some, a couple of simple things to, to build faith in him. First of all, most significantly, is that in the midst of this crisis of doubt, God shows up and speaks to Abraham. And I love this. Okay? Uh, it's clear that Abraham was kind of stewing about this. You know, every morning he'd wake up. So, honey, how are you feeling today? Feeling pregnant at all? <laughs> no. Still not feeling pregnant. Hmm. Right? And he starts to doubt. And clearly, Abraham's sweating this out. Right? He's wrestling with this. Because he, you know, he quickly asks these questions of God. Um, Abraham doesn't go to God. Okay? You want to see this picture of and I don't know, maybe Abram did pray, maybe he was crying out to God, I don't know, but, but that's not pictured here. What's pictured here is God coming to Abram, right? And he has a vision, and Abraham has a vision, and the vision is not so much about what God sees, but in the Old Testament, the vision is always about what God speaks. Okay, the vision is not about you know, seeing cool things, it's about receiving a message from God. And God comes and he meets with Abraham, and he gives him this message reassuring him. He says, Abram, don't worry. Don't be afraid. I am still your shield, and I still am guaranteeing your reward. And uh, Abram comes out with his worries. Yeah, but God, you know, you can reward me all you want. I don't have a kid. It's like going anywhere, right? And Abram doesn't get the picture that the reward, part of the reward is the child, right? So God restates his promise in very clear and certain terms. God meets Abram. He speaks to him, and he restates and reaffirms the promise. No, Abram... Trust me, you will have a son. And uh, he says, specifically, it will be a son of your own bowels, literally, in the Hebrew. Uh, the idea is, it's going to be a son who comes from your body, right? Not, you're not going to adopt a son, it's not going to be somebody else's child. It's going to be a child who comes from you, right? One of your own offspring will be your, your child, your son, and your heir. So God meets him and he speaks the promise to him. And he actually uh, expands it a bit, right? Uh, he says, he, he, he grabbed, in the vision, you know, he grabs Abram by the hand, jerks him up off his kind of pathetic, self-sorry bed, drags him out of his tent. He says, Abram, look up at the sky. And I want you to start counting stars, right? Now, this was back before the days of cities and lights and neon. Uh, the sky was dark. And, and there were beautiful night stars. I love the stars. love... I used to drag poor Denise out when we lived in Montana, and she loves the cold. She just really loves, like when it gets down to 70 degrees Fahrenheit, she loves it. 
Uh, anything below that, she does not love so much. And we lived in, in uh, Montana, and it would get down to, you know, 35, 40 below zero. And at that time of the night, in, in places where it's dry like that, when it's that cold, the stars are stunning. Just beautiful, spectacular. And I just would get so excited about the stars, and I would drag her out in the freezing cold to look at the stars. And she just thought I was nuts, and she would just keep saying, can we go in now? <laughs> it's cold out here, right? Well, it was that kind of a night, I believe. And God took Abram out with this beautiful, vast array of stars. He says, now, count those stars. Of course, you can't begin to count them. He says, Abram, this is what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a son. The promise is not simply that I'm going to give you a child. I am going to give you millions, countless descendants. Okay, You're not getting the picture here. And he expands, he tries to expand God, uh, Abram's picture of what he is promising. I'm not talking about giving you a son. The promise is so much bigger than that. Okay, you're not getting it. Okay, I want you to get the whole promise. It's huge. Okay, countless. Count the stars. You can't count them. That's how your descendants will be. You're worried about a son. <laughs> That's nothing. I'm talking millions, right? He tries to expand and grow his vision. Well, uh, when we're having doubts, you know, what do you do? Well, doubts are important. And when you struggle with your faith, when you struggle with doubt, uh, don't feel like you're somehow failing in the faith. When you're struggling with doubt and you're struggling with promises, it means that you are engaged with God's promise, and that's a good thing. Okay? It's an important thing. Okay? I would be much more worried about you if, you are, if you're going through life without doubt. Like I said, if you're going throughout life without doubt, it means you're not even engaging God in His promises. You're not even trying to meet God and see Him work in your life. Right? Uh, and you're not being developed in your faith. Right? So your doubt is an important part of your spiritual life. And experience it. What do you do with it? Well, you do what Abraham does. You meet God in the middle of that doubt. And you say, God, I am struggling with this. Abraham is completely honest with God. He says, God, you know, the whole, you know, being wealthy is a cool thing, but it's not enough. It's not what you promised. Okay? And I love, uh, Abraham's real clear on this. Okay? Abraham knows that he can't make a child on his own. He's pretty, pretty, you know, he's studied biology enough to know that biology is not enough. It takes God to do this. He's going, I can't. I can't make this happen, God. You're the only one who can make this happen. And he accuses God. He says, God, you haven't come through. You did not do what you promised. When we struggle with doubt, that's, that's exactly what we need to do, to God, do. We need to go to God. We need to confront Him and say, God, your word says this. You have promised this. You have not come through. And I am struggling and I am doubting. God, are you going to be good to your word? And when we do that, and when we go to Scripture, when we go to His Word, and we engage His promise, God will speak to you. Okay, that's how it works. God knows where you are. He knows where your heart is. God cares about you. And God wants to speak to you in the middle of doubt. And He wants to encourage you. Okay? Now, does that mean He's going to solve the problem? Probably not. Probably not right away. He didn't for Abram. You know, it may be that, you know, you're only 10 minutes into the journey, right? And you've got a long ways to go. But God wants to meet you 10 minutes in, and He wants to assure you 
that He is with you, and that He is good to His Word. Right? So that's why it's vital that we're in the Scripture daily. We are meeting Him in His Word, and we are not just engaging Scripture with our brain, but with our heart, we are seeking God and seeking for Him to speak His promises and remind us what He's claimed, not just our head, but to our heart. Okay, to our heart. Because faith doesn't happen in our brain. It happens in our heart. Right? Uh, we can be fully convinced of God's goodness and love with our brain and be very much in doubt in our heart. Right? Uh, in my own life, this has been uh, how, it's, how I have experienced this. Uh, for me, for whatever reason, I have really struggled my whole life believing that God loved me. Okay, now, theologically, I know that. In my head, I can quote all the verses. If you were to ask me, does God love you? I would say, well, yes, unconditionally, absolutely. But do I believe it? Well, for much of my life, I have struggled to really believe that. Okay, deep down where it counts. Uh, the kind of belief that, that, you know, that lives as if it's true, right? In my head, I know it's true, but I live as if it's not true. And the evidence in my life is things that, you know, I just feel unloved. I feel worthless. I don't feel like a dearly loved child of God. For many years of my life, I felt uh, like an unwanted stepchild, right? That God maybe put up with me, but he didn't love me as a father. And so, for many years of my life, that was a promise that I was not owning, right? And I had great doubts about it. And that's kind of an important promise, right? If you miss that one, you, you need to work on that one because that's at the core of who God is. It's at the core of His salvation, right? Well, uh, as I began to be aware of how it was crippling my life and my relationships, because here's the deal. If you don't know that God loves you, it's very difficult to love even yourself. It's very difficult to receive love from others. And it's very difficult, I would say impossible, to really love other people. So it cripples relationships. It cripples your own life if you don't know the free-flowing, unlimited, unconditional love of God in your life. And that's where I was. Well, uh, I began the process of really trying to encounter God in His Word. And throughout Scripture, every time I would see that promise, that glimpse of God's love... I would I'd say, you know, God, I don't believe this. I just don't believe it. But I would let him speak to me about those things. Well, I wish I could say that overnight, you know, some night I had a vision and I just had this great cosmic, wonderful experience where I felt just showered. I hear people talking about this, you know, showered with God's love and I broke down and cried and had this, you know, beautiful moment and I just felt so loved and held by God. I never had that experience, right? I never had this huge blazing encounter where all of a sudden I just knew because I'd had this encounter and it didn't happen. But what I discovered is after, after many months and years of battling this out in God's Word, what I discovered is one day I just knew it was true. I don't know how I got there. But I knew that something had changed in me in the process of time. And all of a sudden I knew that God loved me. And I was, I was living differently, right? Like I said, for me, it wasn't a huge overnight experience. It took time. But God, through speaking His promise over and over and over and over again, uh, I started to believe it. Who knew, right? It must be true. 
right? And it became a reality, a certainty in my life. Well, God does that to us. And He wants to speak over and over again to reinforce faith, to speak His promise over and over. So those areas where you doubt are those areas where you need to search the Scriptures and hear God speak His promise repeatedly into your heart, right? So that it sinks to the deepest core of your life and becomes a reality in your soul. Okay? Not just in your theology, but in your very heart. And that's the effect that it has on Abraham. Now, Abraham's lucky. It doesn't take him overnight. He, I mean, it doesn't take him a long time. It does happen for him overnight. And at the end of the vision, or in the middle of the vision, it says, And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it as righteousness. Right? Abraham, be Abraham believed. He, uh, he had faith that counted. Uh, the word belief there really has the idea of a certainty. Uh, Abraham was now certain that he would have a child. That was enough. As God spoke his word into his heart, it gave him conviction and certainty that it was true. And he was now confident that that promise would be fulfilled. He just knew. He just knew. No more doubt. Uh, and it says that God counted it to him as righteousness. Uh, great and important theological concept. Paul develops it. I'm not going to go into great detail, but quickly to just say this. You have two ways of being in right standing before God. Either by being absolutely 100% perfect and holy, like Him in every way, or, if that doesn't work for you, coming before Him in faith and having your faith count as righteousness. It works like this. Uh, if you have a, a wife or a girlfriend, you, you may understand this. To, to be in a good standing with your wife or girlfriend, right, means you're on good terms, means she looks at you with favor, right? Now, us guys don't always know what the requirements are to keep in good favor, right? Because the handbook comes later. I think after we die, actually. And there's all these unwritten things that we don't know about, right? And we violate. There was a, there was a great ad on the Internet a year or two ago about this guy who ended up in the doghouse. Have you guys seen the doghouse little video thing? He bought his wife a vacuum cleaner for Christmas. Remember? And he ends up in the literal doghouse. And it's this place where all men go when they mess up. And he didn't know. He thought he was doing the right thing. It's a double bagger. right? It's a double bagger. And he's excited. And he thinks he's showing love to his wife. He doesn't know that you don't buy the wife a vacuum cleaner, right? He messes up big time and ends up in the doghouse, and that's what happens. When you're in the doghouse, you are not in good standing, right? So there's only two ways to stay out of the doghouse. Number one, you know the code, and you just know everything about your wife, and even though she doesn't tell you these things, you always get it right, right? That's one way. Or you find a way to get out of the doghouse. In this case, it was to buy a diamond, and if you buy a diamond, it is counted to you as righteousness. <laughs> okay? And you can get out of the doghouse and be back in good standing, right standing before God. Well, uh, that's the picture here. We can be in right standing with God by doing it always right, or we can have something that counts in place of righteousness. And for Abraham, he discovered that faith counts for righteousness. When God looks at us, He says, look, you can be perfect or you can just trust Me. I'll take trust. Right? 
Praise God that's all it takes, because the reality is we can't do the first one. We cannot do it on the grounds of the first one. Sin has damaged and broken that, and there is no hope. Therefore, the only way we can be in right standing with God is through faith. And it was true of Abraham, and Paul makes it clear, Jesus makes it clear, that the gospel is about trusting God's promise. That's it, right? We are not saved. We are not in right standing. We don't earn God's love by being good, by doing anything. Right? God is never impressed by how good you are. He is only impressed by one thing, and that is that you take Him at His word and you believe Him. Right? That's it. That is the ground of our being in relationship with God, is faith. And that's why it's so vitally important that we build faith in our life. That's why it's so important that God would drag Abram through 25 years of misery, dragging out the fulfillment of this promise because it was vital that Abraham have a life of faith in God. So, so God's willing to go to great lengths to make sure this takes place. right? And he drags uh, Abram on a very long journey to build and reinforce in his life faith. Uh, and that's what God's doing in our life, because it's everything, right? Our whole eternal existence depends on this simple thing. Do we take God at his word or not? Not just in our head, but with our heart, with our whole being. Okay? And when, when Abraham was certain, it meant that he was living on the basis of this new reality, right? Well, for a while. The next chapter, he actually blows it. <laughs> faith kind of goes out the window and he creates a different reality. But faith is staking your life on it, right? It doesn't mean just mental ascent. It means living as if this is absolutely true. And that's what God's trying to do in our life, build in our life. So that's the first round. Uh, then, uh, one lap around the track is not enough. It never is. Uh, it takes many laps, right? Many laps. And uh, God's spoken to his life. He's now confident, I'm going to have a son. Ooh, so excited, right? But it's not done yet, okay? Faith is not perfected yet. There are still issues. And God says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abraham replied, Amen. Praise God for your faithfulness. No, that's not what he says. He says, Oh, sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I'm going to actually possess it? Okay, so much for faith, right? He's got the sun thing worked out. The land thing, he's still not there, right? How much like us? Uh, no matter how much God has proven himself in the past, okay, it seems that that never counts for anything with tomorrow, right? There's doubt. And there's new doubts. And so God says, bring me, he says, he says, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abraham presented all these to him, and he killed them. He cut them in half. He lays them out with the halves side by side. Uh, he didn't cut the birds in half, however. And some vultures came and swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abraham chased them away. As the sun was going down, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came down over him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land, where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. 
As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, that is 400 years, your descendants will return here to this land, for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. Uh, God again does much of the same thing. Uh, he again confronts Abram. He knows this doubt. He confronts Abram about the doubt. He again restates the promise. He again expands it. And interestingly, this time, instead of just stating it, God goes through this ritual of confirming it. Uh, this was in the days before paper. This was in the days before PDF files. You know, how do you make a contract without paper? You know, how do you make a contract without a PDF file, right? How do you make a contract if you can't sign something? Well, in, there, in, there, in those days, you know, when you don't have paper, you just kill things. That works, right? And you do weird stuff with dead animals, which is what they did here. Cuts them in half, lays them out. And uh, there's not a lot of parallels to this in, in, uh, that we have in antiquity, but the bottom line is it, is it is a way to ratify or confirm an agreement. So what God is doing here is he's saying, I'm making this promise, but it's not just my word. I'm going to make it an official contract with you, Abram, that I'm going to do this, right? And so he does this thing where he walks between the animals, and that was, in fact, in the old, in this time period, if you were to make an agreement, they would literally call it to cut a covenant, right? to cut a covenant. And uh, most people believe it had to do because they were cutting animals and going through this ritual, right? And that's what God does. God enters into a covenant contract with Abraham. He says, look, I'm, gonna, I'm going to do this and to confirm it. I'm going to make a covenant with you. Right? I'm going to ratify this agreement by walking between this. And interestingly, God alone walks. Okay? Uh, he makes the contract. He signs it. It's one-sided. God says, don't worry about your side of it. I am going to do this. And I'm confirming it with this covenant. Uh, it's just such a great picture and reminder. You know, when God makes promises, he, he, he signs the deal. And you may ask, well, I don't remember God signing the deal for me. Well, he did when he sent his son Jesus to the cross, right? When Jesus went to the cross, Jesus said at the Last Supper, he says, drink this blood. My blood is the... Is is the confirmation of a new covenant written in my blood. All of God's promises are guaranteed. He has put his approval, he has put his guarantee on it by the blood of Jesus. So through Jesus' death on the cross, it guarantees all of God's promises. If God would send his own son to guarantee it, you can know with certainty that he will fulfill everything he has said. So one of the great things we can do when we have doubts, when we are struggling, when we are wrestling, is to go to the cross. Go back to the cross and look at what God has done to guarantee all of his promises. He gave his own son. That's a pretty good guarantee. So when you doubt, one of the things you need to do is go to the cross and spend time reflecting on what God has done to guarantee his promise. But not only does he do this, but in the midst of this ritual, God uh, discloses some some more information to Abram about the promise. And he actually looks ahead 400 years. He says, look, you know, this promise is a lot longer journey than you think. Okay, It's not going to happen in your lifetime. 
It's not going to happen in your son's lifetime or in your grandson's lifetime. It's going to take 400 years, Abram. Okay, what I'm talking about here, my promise to you, Abram, is not just about your life. It's not just about you and your son. Okay? What I'm talking about here is a, is a promise that is so big, it is vast and it extends into history far beyond what you could ever imagine. And the crazy thing is, here, here's the deal. You know, God says it's going to be 400 years before the beginning of its fulfillment. Okay, imagine if he had told them it's going to be 3,000 years and still going, right? That's what my promise to you entails, right? And he just expands. I mean, he blows the scenes apart. And it's kind of this picture. He says, Abraham, you right now are just a little tiny stream, a little spring bubbling out of the ground in some high mountain peak. But that little stream is going to go down the mountain, and to be added to it will be many tributaries, and it is going to grow into a great, massive river. And uh, it will overflow its banks. And throughout time, throughout the banks of time and history, it will grow and expand into something you just can't imagine, Abraham. Because what my promise to you is not just about you. My promise is about what your... The, the outcome of your life for many, many, many generations to come. Right? My promise exceeds far beyond just you. Uh, you know, one of the problems with us, like Abraham, is that we tend to see God's promise to what God's doing in my life in the year 2010. Right? If we're a person of great faith and great vision, you know, we may actually have like a one-year plan, right? People with really big, you know, people who are very far-sighted may have like a five-year plan, right? I got a five-year plan for my life. Okay, then there's some really crazy people who just don't live in reality who have like a 10-year plan, right? And they have like their life planned out for 10 years of how God's going to use them. Uh, Thailand, as the, the church in Thailand has this. They have the, have the 2010 plan, right? Well, they're already at 2010 because they started this, I think, in 2004. So six years have gone by. So now they have the 2020 plan, right? And a lot of people have the vision 2020. Uh, I love that because it's kind of a fun play on numbers, right? Ten-year goal. Well, God says, 2010, 2030, 2050, give me a break. That's not what my promise is about. My promise is not what I'm going to do in the next five years in your life. And the reason you're so struggle with this is because you don't see the big picture. Okay, I'm talking the 2040 plan, the, the 2410 plan, okay? 2410, the 2420, right? He says, your life is going to have an impact 400 years from now, right? Did you believe that? Do you know that? That's what God says to Abraham. He says, Abraham, your life is going to be still making a difference in the world 400 years from now. And, you know, the same thing is true for you and I. A hundred years from now, the promise that God wants to fulfill and carry out in your life will still be rocking the world. Will still be making a difference in the world. Right? Because that's the kind of work that God does. God is not interested in doing things that only affect here and now. God's promise and God's plan and purpose in our life is to change eternity. And what God is calling you to do 
what, what, what the work He wants to do in and through your life is not just for today or tomorrow or even within the scope of your lifetime. The promises of God and how He wants to use you extend far beyond the scope and realm of your lifetime. Okay? God wants to fulfill promises in your life that will still be making a difference in the world in many generations to come. Do you believe that? Uh, can you conceive that? Uh, can you picture that? Uh, great is, illustration. There's a lot, uh, too many illustrations. This, but let me just give you one. In the 1700s, there was a man named Job, interestingly, uh, who lived in England. And he was, uh, ha- had come to faith and was part of the nonconformist movement, which in those days it meant like John Bunyan. It means you were not a part of the official Anglican state church. You uh, were searching for truth and light somewhere else. And uh, you were at, actually excited about what God was doing through his word and through faith saving people. And so he was a part of this nonconformist movement and uh, had gotten arrested several times for going to churches that were nonconformist, to meetings where they were worshiping, because he wanted to be fed by God's Word. Well, eventually they told him, look, you've been arrested several times. Your, your options are either you pay a guarantee that you're not going to keep doing this. It's like putting up a bond, and if you break it, they take your surety, your guarantee, or you go to jail. So he says, I'm not putting up a guarantee because I'm going to keep going, so just put me in jail. So like John Bunyan, uh, in, in one of the coldest winters on record, he ended up in jail, uh, sleeping on a hard stone floor in a jail for his faith. Right? Because he stood up for his faith. And it says, in fact, that, that uh, Job became so weak that he was unable to lie down, and he sat upon a chair most of the time. I don't know what that means, but it was tough. Okay, It was brutal, and he was in jail for uh, several months. Well, that faith and that, that seed rubbed off on his children and grandchildren, and many of his family became ministers and followers in his faith. Many followed in his nonconformist tradition. Uh, one of his grandsons, in fact, became a preacher who ministered for about 54 years, 54 years in a small church, in Stamborn, England. Uh, Had a very successful ministry there, touched many lives in this very small uh, English country church. Uh, But his greatest impact that we know of, that history records, was when his little one-year-old grandson came to live with him. And he and his wife uh, helped their their son and daughter-in-law out who were having a bunch of kids, weren't able to take care of one of their grandchildren, so they sent him to live with this couple, and uh, they actually raised him for six years of his life. And it was, uh, as this young man grew up, he accounts it as one of the most influential times of his life. And this great grand, this grandfather who had ministered for so faithfully loved and ministered and had great influence with this grandchild. So much so that at the end of his six years, when it came time for him to return to his family, it says that, Leaving his grandfather when the time came was the sorrow of his early life. They wept together, and the grandfather sought to comfort him by telling him that when he looked up to the moon that night at Colchester, he was to remember that it was the same moon his grandfather was looking at from Stamborn. And for years after, the boy never looked at the moon without thinking of his grandfather. 
And that was really the influence that this grandfather had had on this son, on this grandson. One time this grandson grew up and he himself became the great preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon and uh, turned England upside down with his preaching. And you could say to this day, his influence is still going on in ever-widening stream as a guy who stood for God's word. You see, and it all began with this great-great-grandfather who stuck it out in a cold dungeon, uh, believing God's promises, staking his life on God's promises, right? And I believe the same is true for us. And God wants us to see that his promises are vital in our life. Not just because of what God wants to do today in your life, right? But the reality is God wants to touch eternity through your life. Now you may be saying, yeah, well, with my luck, you know, Jesus is going to come back in 10 years and it's not going to happen. Well, all the more reason to make it count now, right? Because it's not just about life in this earth. Every life that you touch through your faith, through your ministry, every marriage that you encourage, every grandkid or little kid down the street that you invest in, it carries on not just in this life, but it carries on through eternity. Right? That river flows not only through time, but it flows through eternity. Right? And the promises that God makes to you and to me is to make a difference for all eternity. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 15. He says this, You did not choose me, I chose you, and appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. Jesus called you out and saved you and appointed you, and his promise is that he wants to produce in you lasting fruit. And when Jesus says lasting fruit, he doesn't mean like for 10 years or 15 years or 100 years. He means eternity, right? Lasting fruit. And that's why it is so important that we... You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. God's promise to us. Right? Uh, the-